we are in part four of our Add to Your Faith series. If you've got your Uversion app open, or you've got your notes, um, your old school paper notes, I hope that this series is encouraging you and that you're enjoying it like I am, enjoying studying it and getting ready for it. Because we, we've already talked about it in communion. We come to begin our relationship with God in a place of faith. That we recognize what, who Jesus is and what he's done on our behalf. And that we say yes to him. And all of a sudden eternity is taken care of. We're children of God. And we start in this place of faith. But the scriptures over and over and over again tell us not to stay infants, not to stay babies in our faith. The Bible refers to that as, they, as being born again. So, in, and think about it, when, right when we say yes to, yes to Jesus as being infants, and we need to grow. And Paul, in his writings, talks about, you know, when you're babies, you crave milk, but when you grow up, you want solid food. There is this process, and this Add to Your Faith series is about getting excited and purposeful about that process, about God helping you via the Holy Spirit's work in your life to really add to your faith. So let's get into our notes. Our relationship with God should be about knowing God better and trusting Him more. And as we live this out, our faith grows and impacts, folks, it impacts our whole lives. There's not an aspect of your life that will not be touched. There's not an aspect of it. Your work life, it'll be impacted. Every relationship you have, it will be impacted. Your, your thought life, your recreation activities, everything you do will be impacted for the good. It is a good, life-giving thing. Second Peter 1, 5 says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. We talked about that. And, and to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge... We're going to hammer on this one. Is everybody's favorite one out of the list? Self-control. So excited when you saw the subtitle this morning. Woo, self-control. Love that one, preacher. Let's talk about that one today. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We all want that. None of us want to be ineffective and unproductive. Nobody wants that. So let's, let's embrace this. And we have to understand, verse 9, that whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. I want you to remember over and over again, this is not, this, this add to your faith isn't how to do everything right to get God to forgive you. We start from a place of forgiveness and being right with God, and we are growing in that. That's what this is about. And if we get this out of order, it's because we've forgotten that we've already been made right with God with what Jesus did, what we celebrated with communion. And so as we look at this, that trusting God will help us to have more self-control. It's going to grow Self-control. Now, self-control can be that piece that all of a sudden, because it, it will misunderstand it, because it has the word self in there. That all of a sudden you think, oh, okay, this is God, you did all this for me, and now this is my part. I have to have a lot of self-control, and I have to, to do this. And I want us to reframe the concept of self-control through the eyes of a spirit 
feel like. See, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 6, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and then from that knowledge of understanding, self-control. Now, initially, we can think of self-control. I've got a little picture of a dog I want to put up here. Some of us can think of self-control like it's this. This obedient dog who's got all the goodies right there. And we think of self-control like that. There's all this stuff I want to do, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Does this dog look happy? Does that even remotely look like a happy dog? This looks like unusual punishment for an animal. I mean, this, just, this is just wrong. But in our minds, we can have this concept of self-control. There's, man, there's all this stuff just right there. And, just better not do it. I'm just gonna. What kind of a? If that is our concept of self-control, that looks like a miserable life. We don't want to live like this. We don't want to live like this. Or our concept is this, this next thing of us somehow being the puppet masters of our own lives. And there's another picture of us being that. That somehow there is this oversight and there's this this personal discipline. And we are the puppet masters of ourselves. And we have this concept that if we're going to have this self-control, then that's what this is about. And folks, I'm here to tell you that is not biblical self-control. It's not just gritting down and refusing to give in to everything that you want. And it's not this concept of you being this autonomous thing, being in control. Self-control is important, and we've been talked about, for even Solomon talked about it back in Proverbs 16.32, that better is a patient person than a warrior, or one with self-control than one who takes a city. That self-control is that powerful. It's better than being this awesome, ripped warrior. This guy that looks like he ought to be an extra in the 300 movie. Or that he ought to be in something else. He's just this awesome guy. Say, it's better to have self-control. It's more profitable. It gets more done than that. And then the lack of self-control, we just talked about in Proverbs 25, 28, that like a city whose walls are broken down, this city gets overrun, this city gets overtaken, or, or broken through, is a person who lacks self-control. Let's think about this in a little bit. Now, this isn't this isn't wasn't written back in like now. This was written thousands and thousands of years ago. And then you have a city. You have everything you need for life right there in that city. You need bread. There's a baker. He's right there in that city. You need meat. There's a butcher. He's right there in that city. The house of worship is right there in that city. Everything you need is right there in that city. And they didn't have like governments and all that kind of stuff like we did. It was whoever had the biggest army got the stuff. So they would build these big high walls around this awesome place to live. Because somebody with a bigger axe and bigger muscles is going to come in and say, look, that's an awesome place to live. We're going to take it. You have everything that you need for life there. We're going to come take it. So they said, we don't want that. So they built big old walls up all the way around the city so they can have everything that's been given to them, everything that's provided, everything they need for life is protected. A person without self-control is a person like, is, a, is, is just like that. You have everything that you need for life. Everything that you need, it's not that you're lacking something that all of a sudden is, is that, you, that you are missing out. 
the fact that the self-control makes it to where all these things are robbed. All these things are, are just destroyed. That the enemy can come in and plunder and do whatever. And something that was meant to be a blessing and wonderful is being destroyed right under your nose. It's one thing to live as a, be as a wandering nomad and have nothing. This isn't saying that it's like a guy stuck in the desert without his shield. No, this is because he's living life. He's got everything he needs. And self, without self-control, everything gets ripped out right from under you. How many times have we seen this story in the, in the world and sadly in church and our friends' lives? Do we see this being played out over and over again? And we scratch our heads and we go, man, they had, we, they had it all. And somehow this came in and, and brought it in. This, this, this abusive thing, this, this addiction, this thing, this trip, this, this hazard, this thing in their life. And it robbed them from everything. If they had just had a little bit of self-control, then they'd still be having that. How many times have people talked around that at the, over a cup of coffee and, and, and scratched our heads and watching the news? This is a story that's been told for ages and ages and ages. And God does not want that for us. So much to the point that that's what the, this is one of the things the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Because see, self-control is about making life-giving decisions. We talk about this all the time. I've said before you, life and death, blessing and cursing, choose life. So that you can live. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Remember we added to our faith, knowledge, and now self-control. We begin to be able to understand what's at work so we can make wise decisions, and then the self-control is making wise decisions. Decisions in light of what the, the Spirit of God is doing. I love the way the NRV version reads this. 2 Timothy 1.7 in that version says, God didn't give us a spirit that makes us weak and fearful. If those walls are torn down, you're weak and you're constantly looking over your shoulder. He didn't give us a spirit that makes us weak and fearful. He gave us a spirit that gives us power and love and it helps us control ourselves. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It isn't about this gritted discipline like the poor little dog. It isn't about the marionette man who's controlling himself. It's about a life yielded to the Spirit. And it produces life-giving things. Our decisions are so important. Self-control means making decisions that do not harm ourselves or harm others. Why? Ultimately, why do we not want to have the fourth donut? Because we understand it harms us. If we're not 10 foot tall and 500 pounds of pure muscle, it's going to hurt us. So that's why we need self-control. Why do we do so many of the things that we do? Because it's going to hurt us. It's going to be bad for us. Why should we not spend every dollar we make? Because it's not good for us financially. That's why we need self-control in that. To do no harm to ourselves and no harm to others. I've shared with you all the story before of me wrecking my, my favorite car ever. My first car, my 67 Mustang. Fully restored, 289, aquapoco blue, three coats of paint, seven coats of clear. Gorgeous car. 
without steel wheels, dual exhaust, glass pads, console. Babe, let me live. Let me live. Let me live. She's hurrying me. Don't let me save her, baby. Let me save her. And uh, gorgeous car. Gorgeous car. Way more car than I needed at 16. And my dad was so incredibly awesome and generous that he actually uh, dipped into res to, to emergency resources and bought me a non-emergency awesome Mustang. And um, um, just an incredible act, this incredible gift. And I had that car uh, for about two and a half months. And um, sadly, I, I totaled it. I wrecked it. And uh, being foolish and, and upset and hollering at my sister in the back. And when I did that, I pulled the wheel with me and hit a Trans Am and parked head on and totaled both vehicles. And it was a, it was a bad deal. And um, so I, we end up that my mom has to contact my dad. And that was what I was so fearful of. Here my dad had been so incredibly generous. And my, my dad was, uh, was a guy who could get upset. And I just didn't want to face my dad. And so my, they, uh, um, so my dad comes home, and he doesn't say a word to me. And all I hear from my mom, she goes back to my room, and I, I'm like literally shaking in shock. And uh, she tells me to pack a bag. Woo! <laughs> 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 what you want to hear? Get in the boot! <clears throat> and uh, then I find out that my sisters are packing. And I'm like, okay, my dad's done with parenthood. <laughs> Done with all children, <laughs> and I've run it for us all. And uh, and so uh, so they they load us up, and they don't tell us anything. And it's just a long, quiet, thirty-minute drive from Odessa to Andrews, Texas, where my grandparent, grandmother lived. And they we drop us off, and my, my dad uh, doesn't say a word to me. And they go off to Rio Doso and go to the mountains, and he spends a, a couple of days there. And uh, to be able to process, and uh, because what I did was just, it was just foolish, it was just dumb, and um, and so uh, they they come back and they pick us up, and my dad still doesn't say anything to me, and we get back in the car and we have a quiet drive back to Odessa, and he still doesn't say anything to me, and we get into the house, and I of course retreat to my bedroom. And the way our house was laid out, I was walking through the living room, and I, I finally come out, and my dad's coming from the other end of the living room, and he hasn't said anything to me yet, and, and so and I go, and we're, we're on collision course, and so I sidestep to get, just get out of his way and just let him do whatever he was going to need to do, and he sidesteps in front of me, and my stomach just drops, and I'm like, here it comes, here it comes. And man, my, my dad and I said a word, and he just opens his arms, and he hugs me, and we both just stand there and just cry. And just, it was, it wasn't just a car! <laughs> and it was the relationship. And I tell you, that I was the recipient of a spirit-controlled life. My dad in the natural did not have enough self-control. I know I don't have enough self-control to handle a situation like that. But my dad retreated, and the Holy Spirit held his tongue, and I was such in a tender place that the wrong thing said to me would have just could have just honestly unwound our relationship. And I tell you what, I, 
I, that has been one place of concrete that I, I'm telling you, I, I, I love my dad, and I, he, he's one of my best friends now as an adult. And it, in that moment, what could have been incredibly ugly, the Spirit of God producing self-control of my dad to not say anything to make sure he did not say the wrong thing, that no sharp tone, that nothing came out, and that all it was was this incredibly beautiful moment between me and my dad over that. That is a spirit-controlled, self-controlled life. It produces life. It does no harm. That is what self-control does. See, Proverbs 29 18 says, Where there is no vision, where there is no revelation, People cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. When we don't understand what's at stake, when we don't have spirit-given wisdom, then we just, there's no self-control. We just throw it off and just whatever happens, happens. And then the fallout takes place and destruction is just in our wake. We have to have an understanding and this isn't about just this, this external pressure we put on ourselves. This is the grace of God at work. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. To all people. It teaches us, listen to me. Listen to me, listen to me. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. If we step out from being a place of submitting to the Spirit, the only thing we can even remotely lean on is a list of rules and guilt and condemnation. That's why we default back to it. When we stiff arm God, we don't want His involvement in our lives. But His grace, when we embrace it, His grace teaches us to say no. His love and His acceptance, they teach us to say, why would I want more destruction and harm? Why would I want it? That's what the grace of God teaches us. It teaches us, folks, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled lives. And the more you begin to understand God's love for you and His grace, the more self-control is going to grow in your life. The more you begin to trust God and trust the leading of the Holy Spirit, the more self-control is going to show up. It's just going to. And live upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager, eager to do what's good. Remember we asked the very first thing, add to your faith goodness? This thing and this work of the Holy Spirit, it gets us excited about doing what's life-giving. See, we need to understand that a spirit-controlled life produces the fruit of self-control. That's why it's not the dog holding his ground into an obedient master against everything within his instincts. That's why it's not the marionette and the puppet. It is a it is us saying yes to God. The self part of self-control is the fact that God never takes over our autonomy. He never takes over that. We're always free moral agents. We can take the will back anytime we want to. The self part of self-control is to say, you know what? 
I yield it back to you, God. That's what it is. I yield it back to you, God. I choose your way. That is the self part of self-control. It's us putting our will in alignment with his. Romans 8, 5 through 6 says, For those living according to the flesh have our minds set on what the flesh desires. Just the natural, everyday, everything. That's what the flesh is. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. It's going to be that robbed city all day long. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The Spirit is the one that then becomes the defender. The Spirit is the one that allows life to go on inside that beautiful, wonderful fortress of all city. Allows there to be peace and life there. It's the Spirit of God that does that. Folks, it isn't about a guilt-controlled life. It's about a spirit-controlled life. One of the things that we had to deal with in this issue with uh, Lulu, with Lulu breaking her arm, is she fell off a teeter-totter. And, of course, nobody seesaws, most people. I did it once, but most people don't seesaw by themselves. I tried it anymore. And, uh, hey, I needed a friend. <laughs> so, um, but uh, so her brother is on her little brother Carson, my ten-year-old son, is on the other end of this teeter-totter, the other end of this seesaw, and somehow there's miscommunication and ten-year-old testosterone and all sorts of stuff, and she goes to get off, and he decides to go down, and then she goes over, and it goes up. Well, she gets to do like a little spinny thing. And she flings off of the seesaw and um, hits the ground. And, uh, of course, it's, you know, it, it breaks her arm. And her brother is so tenderhearted, he felt horrible. Felt horrible. In fact, they thought they were going to have to carry him in the ambulance because he was hyperventilating and freaking out like going into shock of what he had done. He felt it was all his fault. The sisters all laying on the ground off the toilet. Carson, quit freaking out. It's okay. This is going to be fine. And so, something that effect. I wasn't there. I was here with him. So it's just relaying the story to her. And, um, but he's freaking out. He's freaking out. And she is. She was fine. And he walked in a fog for a couple of days. And every time he would look at his sister, he would just well up with tears. And he would just, he just couldn't, I mean, I tell you, he doted on her. And he's getting her drinks. He's been the best little brother he could possibly be. He was hailing her. And he was doing all the right things. But there was this place of this incredible weight of guilt that was the undercurrent of this. And it's just as a healthy. And, of course, I can be oblivious, if anybody knows me. And his mom picked up on it. And Cutie said, um, I don't think Carson's hailing this very well. I think we need to talk to him. And so uh, we just stopped and uh, called him over and put him in my lap. And don't normally do that with him at, at 10. It's too much. I held him in my lap and, and uh, I, said, I, I said, boy, I said, you, you do know that this isn't your fault. He was, I was just right there. And uh, I, said, uh, I said, does Lulu, does Lulu blame you? No. Is Lulu mad at you? Like, you know the only person who blames you and is mad at you is you? Yeah. Son, you're going to have to learn to forgive yourself. 
Are you going to live under this forever? I said, guess what? I said, you've been, re- you've been replaying everything you could have done different. And the truth is, the truth is, is a lot of you out here live that life every day. You live a life of regret. You live a life of going, I wish I could have done it different. And some of you are even here this morning out of a weight of guilt. Showed up at church under that pressure. This isn't about a guilt-controlled life. I'm sorry too many pulpits operate that way. But it's just not the truth. This is about a spirit-controlled life. This is about embracing forgiveness and embracing freedom. And we prayed and had our moment and a sister walked up and hugged him and loved on him. And he's been fine ever since. He's still taking care of her, still doing the right thing, but it's not out of guilt. It's from a place of freedom. Folks, this self-control isn't this place of trying to make sure I willfully never, ever do that again. Some of you exhibit incredible amounts of self-pressure because you're so afraid of slipping up again or doing that thing again. And you're going to snap one day. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be pretty. We embrace the forgiveness and the love that God has for you this morning. You need to embrace the fact that guilt is not your friend. And guilt keeps me away from it. Full. It keeps you away from God. It keeps you away from freedom. It keeps you away from real happiness. It doesn't keep you away from that. Grace teaches us to say no, not that other mess. Embrace it this morning, please. Please. Self-control will grow as you let God have control. It will. Don't be afraid of it. Trust Him. You keep taking the reins because you're not trusting Him. Trust Him. It changes everything. See Galatians 5.22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's part of what the Holy Spirit grows in our lives. Against such things, there is no law, there isn't any violations, there isn't any mess with that. I love what Max Lucado <coughs> says in his book. He says, I choose self-control. I'm a spiritual being. After this body is dead, my spirit will soar. I refuse to let what will rot rule the eternal. I choose self-control. I will be drunk only by joy. I will be impassioned only by my faith. I will be influenced only by God. I will be taught only by Christ. I choose self-control. Self-control is allowing the full work of God to have reign in our lives. That's what that is. That's what it is. See, Colossians 2 says, Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. There may be people who feel like they're so stinking spiritual and they maybe can quote a few scriptures more than you, but don't let somebody like that begin to contort your way of that you view God and view grace. Such a person goes into great details about what they've seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He's lost connections with the head from whom God, the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are 
based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and false humility and their harsh treatment of the body. That's what we saw on the screen in those pictures. But they lack any value in restraining sensual impulses. They don't produce what we want them to produce. It's only a spirit-controlled life. That's it. Let God do it. He loves you. He's going to have grace with you. Let God produce that in you. Let that grow in you. See, the bottom line is this. Self-control is to give God control. That's it. You don't walk out here with one idea. Understand that. Self-control is to give God control. That's it. So if we continue to grow in our faith, then we will be truly effective and productive in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we grow in this. We grow once we've been reborn. That's where as we're infants and toddlers and, and grow in all those stages and growth of life. But we have to start with that new life. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning if that's where you're at and you need to do that. And you say, you know, Brandon, I, I need to say yes to Jesus. I, I'm on the outside of this. And I want this. I don't want guilt. I rejected religion because I felt like it was a guilt trip. Well, guess what? You can reject religion all you want. Just don't reject the relationship that, that God wants to have with you through Jesus. I just uh, <clears throat> ask you to bow your heads. Let's create a quiet moment. And if you're here this morning and you want to say, I want that. I want a relationship with God based on what Jesus did. I believe Jesus paid it all. And I place my faith in him and him alone. I want you to just lift your hands up. And we're going to pray with you. Awesome. 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 Yes. Fantastic. Fantastic. I'm going to loan you some words. You make them your own. Just repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness that you love me the way I am. And you've made me your own. I place my faith in Jesus. His death covered my death. And now his life is my life. I say yes to today. Help me to grow in the grace that I've received by living a spirit-filled life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yes. If that was you this morning, you raised your hand. You can just find your way over when the service is over to Larry and Beth Lane. We've got some gifts over here. We've got a Bible, some music, some some resources to help you uh, get a jump start on your growth in God. If you have any questions, I'd be happy to pray with you. I've got Stephen Devlahon over here if you need prayer whatsoever. If you're in T9, we've got prayer teams over there as well. If you said yes to God over in T9, then you'll find them standing up there near the front. And um, let's just pray, and we're going to go out of here. Thank y'all so much for being with us. Let's just, you can stand up. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so good. Your mercies are fresh and they're new every morning. God, we thank you, Lord, that we live a life, God, that is based on what you've done for us, not on what we can do for you. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that we're going to be free from condemnation and guilt. Lord, that we're going to live... Lord, lives of self-control. 
not based on our own personal willpower, but on the power that's at work within us. God, we just thank you for that. I call everyone blessed as we go out of here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a beautiful